Well, good morning. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and find the book of Hebrews. Hey, Aaron, would you do me a favor and bump me down in my volume just a little bit? Somebody asked me to ask y'all to do that like three weeks ago, and I just remembered. So you know who you are, and sorry it took me three weeks. I just forget. I want to continue this morning to examine vision our vision statement. So as you see, we've kind of broken this into three sections. It's not three statements, um, but it's just the third portion of that statement. And um, we'll actually finish the vision statement this morning, and then next week we'll take a break from the vision and the values as we're together at the park, do something a little bit different. And then when we come back, starting on October 9th, we will look at the, the, the concept of, of values and, and, and biblical values, and then we will examine one at a time over the next number of weeks uh, the values here of, uh, of Dale Bible Church. And so we want to finish this morning uh, our vision statement. And I, I think it's on the back of your bulletin. It'll be on the screen in front of you. It says, we recognize we live in an ever-changing world. Therefore, we stand on the firm foundation of the unchanging God. As we pursue a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we are committed to sharing the good news of his sacrificial love as demonstrated in his life, death, and resurrection. The entirety of this last section of our vision statement is encapsulated for us in a single passage of scripture. That's not necessarily how we developed our vision statements, but as I began interacting with that statement as it was done, we'll see uh, when we get into the values, you'll see more of a specific, here's the biblical context of that value. But as I was interacting with our, the various portions of our vision statement, uh, this passage of Scripture just perfectly encapsulated this. In, in the book of Hebrews, again, I've invited you to find that already. The book of Hebrews, ultimately as a whole, it's about the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things. And as the writer makes his way through the letter or through the book, an argument is being built that Jesus is, in fact, superior to all of these things, to all things. And the argument begins by the writer reminding the people that it is through Jesus that God has spoken in these last days. Unlike other people and other systems, Jesus was the exact perfect representation of God to the people. And this is what we read in Hebrews chapter 1 where uh, the writer of Hebrews says that in previous days and in former times God spoke to his people through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken through his son, Jesus. And so when we understand, when we, when we read that first section there of Hebrews chapter 1, is the reality that God has communicated with his people, number one, through Jesus when he came in the flesh, and then through the word, that we have today, Jesus literally is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So what we understand, the argument that the, the writer of Hebrews begins to build as he starts his letter is that Jesus, the Word of God, is the means whereby which God communicates with his people. And we read in the book of Hebrews about the realities that Jesus is the author and the sustainer of our salvation. We read about how he is superior to Moses, who was the mediator of the Old Covenant. Moses was the, the prominent figure under the Old Covenant. We see that Jesus is superior to the Old Testament sacrificial system. He was the, the perfect sacrifice. 
And all of these things are being uh, built as you read through the letter to the Hebrews. We read that Jesus has perfected the faith of believers, and in doing such, and in doing such, excuse me, and being the source of the believer's faith, the believer can now be firmly established and built up. And so as the argument in the book of Hebrews comes to a close, the writer is calling upon the people to live lives that are pleasing to God based on what they know about Jesus. And the whole reality that's, that's taking place, that's unfolding with the book of Hebrews is this. These Hebrew people, so these were literally Israelite, Israelite people who had abandoned Judaism and had professed faith and begun following Jesus. And, and as was common in the first century, when people aligned themselves with Jesus, what happened was there were consequences. They lost their jobs. They lost their families. So they lost their livelihoods. They lost their homes. They were literally scattered abroad. And so what happens is these people, they begin to think, well, you know what? Maybe it's better to just go back to the old way. Maybe it's better to go back to the old covenant that we lived under and it seemed to work. So let's do that. And so they want to abandon Jesus. They literally want to walk away from their faith in Jesus to take up the mantle of the old covenant. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't, because Jesus is superior. That's the whole argument. And so you get to the end of this letter, and that argument becomes a call for the people to live lives that are honoring or pleasing to God. And how is it that we live lives? How is it that the the, the Jewish people of that day lived lives in the midst of everything that were pleasing to God. They followed the example that Christ had set through sacrifice. And so we read here at the end of the letter, I want to turn our attention to Hebrews 13. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7, and we'll read down through verse 16. But the writer of Hebrews, he says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go out to him, let us go to him outside, excuse me, the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful for the privilege of having your word, and God, for the privilege of knowing your word, and then God, knowing you. Ultimately, that's the, the purpose of your word, God, that we might know you, that we might know how to relate to you, that we might know who you are. Um, and God, that we might see your goodness, that we might see your grace, and we might see your mercy. And God, we primarily see your grace and your mercy in your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, that he came and he was the exact representation of you, that he was a perfect portrayal of everything that is true. And God, I thank you that we see the call in your word to emulate what we see in Jesus, 
to be imitators as we talked about last week. And God, we pray to this end again that you would help us to see the importance of living a life that is pleasing to you when we profess faith in Christ. So Father, work in our hearts today. Challenge us, but encourage us. God, stir our hearts in such a way that we would be concerned today chiefly with your glory. And uh, God, may you accomplish your purposes as you do that. And we'll be careful to give you that glory that you and you alone deserve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to understand two things this morning as we reflect on Hebrews 13, 7 through 16. And as we reflect on this final portion of our vision statement. And our vision statement began, uh, I believe it's still on the screen in front of you. Okay, perfect. You see there that our vision statement began by recognizing the reality that we live in a world that is ever-changing. But there's a, there's a reality, there's something that is unchanging, that, that doesn't change. And, and that's where we begin this morning is with this reality. Jesus is steady. And that's not designed to be a cliche. That's not designed to be cheesy, Okay. I didn't know the best ways. We talked about this, the reality. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. I mean, that's the very definition of steady, unchanging. But before the writer of Hebrews talks about the steadiness of Jesus, he touches on another reality there. In verse 7, he says, he calls them to remember their leaders, those who spoke to, to them the word of God. He says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So the reality is, is their leaders, those who have gone before them, they've died. They've, they've passed on. And they, at this point, they're merely a memory. But the one in whom they found their existence and the one in whom they find their, their purpose is alive. And their testimony of him, that is those who have passed on, compels the people to persevere in truth. Okay, so we, we talked last week about being imitators of Jesus. And so there's a reality here where when the writer of Hebrews is writing, he's reflecting upon the fact that like there was these people who they were really instrumental in these Jewish people's lives coming out of Judaism. But they're gone now. And he says, so you need to remember their testimony. You need to remember the things that they taught you. You need to re- remember the way that they led you. He's not despising those who have gone before these believers. There's an honest call to remember those that have taught them and that have exemplified Jesus for them. And we know this to be true because he goes as far as to tell the Hebrew believers that they ought to even imitate the lives of those who have gone before them. And then he says to those who are considering abandoning Jesus that they, in fact, as we've touched on, should imitate the faith of those who've gone before them. But there is a reality that has to be broached. The people who have gone before them that they're being called to emulate have died. They're not there. They cannot draw person to person on them and, 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 and they cannot draw from the influence. They have to remember these people and their testimony and their lives. They may have lived as a good example. <clears throat> Excuse me. These people may have lived as a good example But we got to understand something. They were far from perfect. They were fallible. And like other men being fallible, they faced death. They died. And the significance of verse 7 is found in verse 8. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Men come and men go, and these men, they poured into your lives, and they led you Hebrew believers, and they taught you, and they trained you, and they've gone, but you got to understand that your faith ultimately is in the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is one of the truths, there's a, a handful of truths here that we say are indispensable to Christianity, and one of which is the reality that Jesus is unchanging, that he is the same yesterday, today. You think that matters? I've been up here for 12 minutes, and how many times have you heard me say, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? When our lives ebb and flow, it's not Jesus who is changing. It's not Jesus who is morphing into something different. It is not Jesus who has abandoned us. It is not Jesus who has somehow failed us. There's a reality that life is tough. And it ebbs and flows, but part of what compels us to keep going is the reality that Jesus is unchanging. He is exactly who he said he is. He has accomplished exactly what he set out to accomplish, and he will fulfill all that he has claimed or promised that he would. There is no change, there is no partiality, there is no discrepancy. Jesus is the same for all time, always has been, and always will be. And this is contrasted, not only to the fact that some have come before them, and, and, he, and they're called to look at that example, but it's contrasted to what we see in verse 9. He says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. So what's happened is, these, these, the, 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 these prominent, influential people have, have passed on, Right? And now these other people have come in with these wicked and perverse teachings. And these people who were Jewish at one point but now profess faith in Jesus, they're struggling with knowing how, to, how they're to proceed and how they're to move forward. And the writer of Hebrews says, focus on Jesus. Because he's steady. Because he's unchanging yesterday, today, and forever. These believers were being led astray. Do this. Think that, be this way, and on and on and on. And all of these new ideas and doctrines, they were conflicting with Christ. And they were conflicting with the unchanging message of the gospel of God who is unchanging. And so it's through the remembering who Christ is that the believer is not led astray by diverse and strange teachings. And so not only should the believer imitate the godly examples who have gone before them, but they must remember and imitate the godly example of Christ. That was our whole thing last week where we started in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, be imitators of Christ. And so this is the key when you look into Hebrews and you, you know, there's, a, there's an obvious application here. I don't want to make us the, the Hebrew people. He's not writing to us. The writer of Hebrews is writing to the Hebrew people, but there's an obvious application there where we understand that there's a lot of stuff coming at us. There's a lot of things in this ever-changing culture and world that we live in, and there's a temptation lots of times to go with the things that are contrary to what God's Word teaches. There's a lot of temptation oftentimes to compromise on God's Word for a whole host of reasons, but the believer must Focus. The believer must seek and strive to imitate not only the faith of the spiritual people who've gone before us. Again, that's the whole thing in Hebrews 11, two chapters earlier. We call it the hall of faith. 
There's this big, long list of these spiritual giants. And we have spiritual giants in our lives, right? And so we have this reality where we want to remember and we want to recognize their influence, but ultimately it's about the influence of Jesus. And I want to say something else quickly as we think about this reality of living in an unchanging world. Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the things that he tells us is that there is nothing new under the sun. And I want you to understand that that's absolutely true. Okay? As much as the verbiage of our vision statement talks about an ever-changing world, the world itself is not changing. The manifestations of the sinfulness of our world changes. And that's why lots of times people can get sucked into following uh, sinful things and unbiblical things. Because the manifestations of what's contrary to God is always resurfacing. It's always full circle. We are not the first generation of human beings who have navigated or have been faced with navigating the issue of sexuality. I mean, 2,000 years ago, when the Bible was written, it was addressed. Not because Paul knew 2,000 years later human sexuality would be under attack, but because 2,000 years ago human sexuality was under attack. And so as we think about this ever-changing world, it is so important. You know, I, I try not to, I've said a form of this before, so maybe you've heard this, but I, I try not to make things overly spiritual in the sense that it's like becomes fanciful. But I want you to understand something. The devil is very real. And the tactics of the devil are very good. He knows exactly where to scheme and how to scheme and what to do. He knows how to divert our attention so that we're focused on the wrong things. He knows certain things that we maybe are tempted with more more so than other people. And those are the avenues and the areas and the ways in which he's going to work in our lives in seeking to trip us up and undo our faith in Christ. And so you got to be on the lookout. You got to be aware, right? That's why Paul tells the church in Ephesus to do what? To take up the full armor of God. And he tells you why. Before he tells you what the armor of God is, he tells you why you should take it up. So that you would resist the schemes of the devil. This, this ever-changing world we live in, it's, it's, it's really ever-changing manifestations of the sinfulness of our world. Right? And people are always going to come along with new ideas and, and, and new ways to be pleasing to God and new things that we can do and this can be more effective and this can be better and God didn't really say that and, and God's word didn't mean that. It was written to different people at a different time and things were different then and they're going to say all of this stuff that we think, man, you know, that sounds pretty good and, and maybe there's some truth to that. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We started this men's study on Sunday morning, and this morning we were talking about um, uh, just, we, we really just started laying this foundation, right? And we're really, we've just started looking at, we, we start with some definitions, you know, what is theology, what is doctrine, why do they matter, and some different things. And one of the things that I shared with the men, and I believe this, and this is not to, uh, to, to, to step on anybody's toes or anything, this is just a reality in the church in the United States of America, The greatest dilemma facing the church in the United States of America is biblical illiteracy of the people sitting in the pews. 
we don't have any idea what God's word says. And because we have no idea what God's word says, we can't have right ideas about God. We can't have right ideas about sin. And when sinful ideas, and when we talked this morning about the difference between what's orthodox and what is heretical, you know, what is true, what is not. And we talked about when heretics come along spewing heresy, do you know why we buy it? Because we don't know what the word of God says. Well, that sounds good. I like that. So let's go that route. But what does God's word say? The reality of our lives is that we stake as a professing believer in Jesus everything that we believe on the fact that he's unchanging. If Jesus Christ is ebbing and flowing and changing, you and I are in trouble. And so the writer of the Hebrews tells them, look, man, the world that you guys are living in is difficult. And you guys are suffering for your faith in Jesus and you're struggling to get by and it just feels like everything is caving in around you. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we look to Jesus. In fact, that's actually the, the uh, very phrase that the writer of Hebrews uses when he says, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're looking to him as we run the race, Hebrews 12. And so we must understand as we navigate this culture and this, this world and the, the ever-changing manifestations of ungodliness, we must commit to the steady. We must commit to Jesus. We must commit to the fact that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what's steady in our world? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's further that, that the, furthermore, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus are the only hope for sinful man. That's a steady. And we live in a world that says, no, man's really not that bad. Man doesn't really need to be saved. Man's not really separated from God. God understands. Me and God have an agreement. God's cool with it. And on and on and on and on and on. The gospel of Jesus Christ is unchanging, and it is steady. And though the tactics of man may change, teachings and teachers will come and go, as we've seen, the Lord Jesus Christ does not. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, because Jesus is the steady in the ever-changing culture of the world that we live in, the writer of Hebrews teaches us something else as it pertains to Jesus, and that is that he's worthy. Jesus is worthy. Because if you're going to live in a world that functions contrary to the steady, and you recognize that living in this world that functions contrary to the steady, you're going to swim upstream your whole life. If you are going to follow Jesus, you will swim upstream or against the current the majority of your life. Maybe not your whole life, but the majority of your life. And like the Hebrew people, there may be times when you say, oh, is this worth it? This is too much. It's too hard, man. Ever since I professed faith in Christ, my life seems to have gotten harder. Why are things more difficult now than when I just live like a heathen? And then we got to be reminded 
that Jesus is steady. And because he's steady, he is worthy. And what is he worthy of? Sacrifice. We talked about this last week. And the writer here says, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. This is a reference to where he talked about Jesus. Okay, so when they would offer the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they would, they would offer the blood inside the temple, and then they would burn the animal outside the city. And when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified outside the city. Okay, and so he bore the sin and the shame and the reproach of man outside the city, outside the camp, when he was crucified. But the writer of Hebrews says, so let us go out there. Let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach that that he endured. Why? Because in verse 12, why would Jesus endure? Why would Jesus suffer in order to sanctify the people through his own blood? Jesus died to make you holy. Jesus died to make you holy. Not to solve a minor dilemma. Not to change the circumstances of your life. Not to improve your conditions. Jesus died to make you like him. This is a foreign concept today. Jesus died so that I don't go to hell. Jesus died so that I could be forgiven of my sins. Jesus died on and on and on. And and honestly, those things are true. Obviously, I'm not undermining that. I'm not denying the reality that Jesus' death bought my forgiveness. But this is, this is, we talk about 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. There's an exchange. Christ died so that we might live. And that we would not just live and exist, but that we would live as the righteousness of God. You cannot be righteous on your own. You cannot be holy on your own. You can't pursue holiness apart from Christ. You can't grow in Christ-likeness apart from Christ. You can't be forgiven of your sinful state before a holy God apart from Christ. It's so... When we think about the sacrifices most often in our context, okay, understand right now there are people around the world dying for their faith in Jesus physically. And we're not at that point. We may someday, I have no idea. But until we get to that point, you think about the reality of what Jesus endured for the purpose of purchasing the redemption of man and making him holy, really, Really, what is it that we can't give up for Christ? He's worthy of our sacrifice. He's, and it's interesting too, I love verse 13. He says, therefore, let us go to him. Let us go outside the camp. Let's swim upstream. Let's bear the reproach of Jesus and show the world that he's worth it. Show the world that he's exactly who he said he is. Show the world that while their gimmicks and their games may change, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus suffered. And I want you to understand, if you're serious about following Jesus, it will require sacrifice. You can't follow Jesus as you are. Because we're sinful. 
We must first be forgiven of our sin debt through faith in Christ. And if you've been forgiven, all right, you've been made right with God via your sin debt or via your faith in Christ because of your sin debt, you were made right so that you would be made holy. So this nonsense of saying, well, I trusted Jesus, but I'm still as rotten and sinful as I've ever been, something's wrong. You might have a misunderstanding of God's word, but you might not be saved from your sin. Because if we're going to follow Jesus and the purpose of him purchasing our redemption was to make him holy, things have got to be different. We can't follow him as we come to him. Now, don't hear me say you need to clean yourself up to come to Christ. No, 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 no. He cleans you up. And so we come to Christ, but then we understand as he works in us and through us and we avail ourselves to him, he makes us holy. He grows us to be like him. And there has to be sacrifice if we're going to pursue a personal relationship with Jesus. And that was what the statement said, right? We live in this unchanging or this ever-changing world. We, we focus on the unchanging God as we pursue our relationship with Jesus. It might cost you your lifestyle. It might cost you some relationships. I can't say for sure. But what I can say is that whatever sacrifice is made for Christ is worth it because he is worthy. He died in order to make you right with his father. You were separated from God because of your sin. And he died to make you right with the Father. If we're honest this morning and we think about this reality of of Jesus and this reality of pursuing a personal relationship with him, I want to be honest this morning. For many professing believers today, Jesus is a matter of convenience, not a matter of sacrifice. If it's convenient for me to relate to and with Jesus, then I probably will. If it costs me to identify with Jesus, then I probably won't. There's always, I want you to understand something. You will always have an opportunity to put something ahead of Jesus. Always. Every day that you open your eyes and breath fills your lungs, you will be tempted and given the opportunity to put something ahead of Jesus. Do we sacrifice for Jesus? Or is our relationship with Jesus a matter of convenience? The writer of Hebrews, he reminds his readers to remember the unchanging Christ and what it is that his life and his death have accomplished. And I love the word remembering in the connotation that it conveys. Because remembering is not just, oh yeah, Jesus died. Remembering is remembering for the purpose of responding. Jesus died so that I may live and all that I have to give him is a sacrifice of my life. I don't know what he has for me and I don't know what he's going to accomplish. I don't know what he'll call me to today or tomorrow or in a bigger picture perspective, but I do know that whatever it is, he's worth it. Remembering Jesus is this call to action. And if we're going to pursue Jesus, like we've encapsulated in our vision statement, we must understand the idea of pursuing is also an action. And the pursuit of something requires sacrifice, and it requires service. I think of pursuit, I think of like, 
I, and that's probably the only thing I think of, but one of the first things that I think of is like when I was a kid, I think the show is still on, but when I was a kid, for some reason on Saturday night, we used to always watch cops. Bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do, you know? And what was the premise of the whole show? The cops were chasing criminals, and they pursued them no matter where they went, no matter what they did. The cops pursued these individuals. We think of not necessarily the TV show, but just let's think of our law enforcement officers as a whole. Do they pursue criminals at any expense to themselves? Tremendous expense to themselves. Not just the physical exertion of, you know, being in the physical shape to chase and to pursue people. But you know, law enforcement officers put their life on the line every single day. And they view people as worthy to serve and to protect. And so they pursue those who hinder people being safe. And if we're going to pursue Jesus, it's going to require, as we've seen, sacrifice, but also service. Notice verse 15 and 16. He says, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. He says, as he continues on here, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That's lips that acknowledge his name. So as much as we talk about Jesus, our lives ought to be that too. You're going to talk about Jesus, you ought to emulate Jesus. And he says, don't neglect to do good. If we're called to sacrifice in order to do good, then remember, Jesus is worthy. If we do good, that which is declared as good by God, then God is pleased. It's a win-win. After this, excuse me, and this after all, pleasing God is to be the goal of the believer. Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, whether we're home or away, we make it our aim to please him. This is to be the goal of the believer, that God would be pleased. I believe it was John Piper who once said, God is most pleased with man when man is most satisfied in God. And boy, that hits right to the crux of the matter, doesn't it? You see, it's not about always doing. It's not about always being. It's about, are you satisfied in Christ? Because when you're satisfied in Christ, beyond everything else, God will be pleased. God is most pleased when we are most satisfied with him. Matters of sacrifice and service, they're matters of our hearts. Whether or not we serve, whether or not we sacrifice, whether or not we believe Jesus is worthy is a matter of our heart. Because whether you believe Jesus is worthy or not, he is. And what you believe about whether or not he's worthy, you will be held accountable for. And so whether or not we want to be pleasing to God, the things that we do are a matter of our hearts. And so I would ask you this morning, are you delighting in Christ? Are you satisfied with Christ if he is all that you have? If it swims upstream and flies in the face of the culture and of, of, of whatever else, whatever you have to sacrifice, whatever you have to give up, are you satisfied enough in Christ? You'll sacrifice whatever the cost. Hugh Latimer was. In the 16th century, there was a Protestant reformer in England by the name of Hugh Latimer. 
And he was known as the great preacher of his day. And as a result, he had many public opportunities to speak before all kinds of audiences. And once he found that he was to preach before King Henry VIII of England. And as he thought about his great responsibility to bring a message before the king, he realized that the message that God laid upon his heart was not the message that the king would want to hear. And as he began his sermon, he said to himself, Latimer, Latimer, do you remember that you are speaking before the high and mighty king, Henry VIII, who has power to command you to be sent to prison and who can have your head cut off if it please him? Will you not take care to say nothing that will offend his royal ears? He then paused and he continued, Latimer, Latimer. Do you not remember that you are speaking before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand. Before him to whom one day you will have to give account yourself. Latimer, Latimer, be faithful to your master and declare all of God's word. Latimer faced the choice. Would he preach what man wanted to hear? Or would he preach what Christ would have him to preach? Latimer did take his stand for truth, and he preached boldly. And eventually, he was martyred by Henry's daughter, Queen Mary. Jesus is steady, and Jesus is worthy. His message has not changed, and his message will not change. As we've noted, the irony of the situation in the first century and the 21st century is that the world is replete with ideas and ideals of what man needs and how man is better. But none of those ideas can do what the unchanging God can do. So the people of God praise him with their lips and praise him with their lives. And in doing so, they trust him whatever the outcome. Whatever the outcome. And so next time you have an opportunity to remember the cause of Christ and your opportunity to praise Christ because he is worthy, just remind yourself of the same words of Hugh Latimer. Latimer, Latimer, do you not remember that you are speaking before the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand. Before him to whom one day you will have to give account yourself. Latimer, Latimer, Be faithful to your master and declare all of God's word. May we insert our name and take up the charge of proclaiming the steady and unchanging God who is worthy to be praised and proclaimed. And as we have these opportunities, may we also recall that God is most pleased with us when we are most satisfied in him. We recognize that we live in an ever-changing world Therefore, we stand on the firm foundation of the unchanging God. As we pursue a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we're committed to sharing the good news of his sacrificial love as demonstrated in his life, death, and resurrection. As we pursue Jesus, may we pursue others with Jesus and the good news of his life and his name through his life, death, and resurrection. And may all of this take place out of a heart that desires to please Jesus because he has purchased our sinfulness and it is a small thing to sacrifice and to serve the one who is worthy. Let's pray together.
Father, you alone are worthy. We're quick to offer up praise and worship as it would pertain to your worth. God, may we be as quick to offer up our lives. May we ascribe your worthiness to all of the areas of our lives. And God, this is a reality that can be tough. And so we need you, God, to work in our hearts. We need you, God, to work in our lives because you're most pleased in us when we are most satisfied in you. Living our lives for your glory and, and boldly proclaiming truth and, and, and aligning ourselves with the steady and going against the culture and swimming upstream is a matter of our hearts. And God, hearts that are not wrecked by the presence of sin, that are not broken over the reality of the devastation that sin brings, God, those hearts, they will not recognize you as worthy. So God, break our hearts. Compel us to pursue Jesus beyond everything else. Compel us, God, to pursue Jesus no matter the cost. Compel us, God, to pursue Jesus when it's not convenient. And remind us, God, that it's probably never going to be convenient to pursue Jesus. After all, if we're going to pursue him, we're going to swim upstream. We're going to work against the culture. We're going to combat lies, and we're going to combat the different manifestations of the sinfulness in the world that we live in. But God, we have what we need to combat heresy. We have what we need to combat lies because we have what we need in the unchanging Jesus Christ. We have what we need in the completely finished, trustworthy, and reliable Word of God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So help us today, God. Challenge our hearts for some of us, God, break our hearts. Bring us to the end of our sinfulness and fix our eyes upon Jesus. That if need be, we would trust for the first time in the, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus for our salvation. And then, God, that we would understand in a, with a growing knowledge of who he is and what he's accomplished that your greatest desire for us is that we would be satisfied in you. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us, your grace and your mercy in our lives. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you, God, for the things that you are accomplishing. I thank you, God, that you've promised to go before us and that that's reassuring because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Help our lives, God, to be about your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.